1: Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, The Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey.
2: Welcome. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and uh, we've got a great broadcast today. I, I, it, it's a very near and dear to my heart Um broadcast today because my husband unfortunately was very ill and in the Duke uh, University Hospital and they did a wonderful job so anybody is thinking about any cardiac situations I definitely recommend Duke but while I was there they have a wonderful pediatric ward and um, in that ward I saw all these little children and their parents are pulling them around in radio flyer wagons So I just was very warmed because I had the great opportunity to meet the CEO of uh, Radio Flyer Wagons, and I remember having one as a child myself, and I thought, isn't that a great coincidence? And then I reached out to Robert and asked him if he'd join the show, and he said he would. And what I love about Robert is he calls himself the Chief Wagon Officer of his organization which is started in, in in 1914 by your grandfather correct robert
3: yeah it was started by my grandfather in 1917 he came to the us in 1914
2: oh okay i knew 1914 was in my head for some reason but it was a great i had a great opportunity to meet robert personally at a at an event that our collective good friend marshall goldsmith was hosting and i I was so impressed with what he was doing and some of the things that he was saying and, and how he took over over the company so so tell me the story you sent me this wonderful book of all the stories about radio flyer so tell me the story about this this wonderful company and your grandfather and how it all began
3: Sure. Well, thank you for having me, Linda. You know, basically Radio Flyer holds a special place in people's hearts, like you were describing. And it's something that we, as a company, absolutely cherish. And I think the reason why Radio Flyer holds a special place in people's hearts is because it brings them back to their childhood and it brings all these fond memories back. And and usually when you say Radio Flyer to someone, the first thing they do is smile and the second thing they do is tell you a story. Um, So the stories that you're referring to We actually, when we celebrated our 80th anniversary uh, almost 20 years ago, we had a contest and we asked people to send in photos and stories and this was (laughs) pre-internet. Wow. We we got all kinds of wonderful stories and photos and so we put them in that book and as we prepare to celebrate our 100th anniversary, we continue to gather stories. So on our website, there's a, a section called Little Red Stories where people submit their photos and stories and it's just so wonderful to be part of a company and a consumer product that actually people really do love, and um, and so and if I can go to how my grandfather started, if you'd like. I'd
2: I'd love that, and how you got personally involved in it. So how did you what you know he came here in in uh, 1914, and how did he begin thinking about this?
3: Well, he came from a small town in northern Italy, and um, he was from a poor family, and like so many immigrants, he came to America looking for a better life, and fortunately for him, he had a skill. His father and his grandfather were both cabinet makers, so he knew how to make things out of wood, um, and when he came to Chicago, he worked in any job he could find, um, you know, helping build uh, construction sites, working on crews that were building the sewers of Chicago, you know. A lot lot of very challenging day labor jobs. And eventually he was able to save up enough money to rent a little one-room workshop on the west side of Chicago. And in that workshop, he, he called it the Venetian Furniture Company. He had a very kind of aspirational name because he was from a small town near Venice, and he thought that mm-hmm. sounded pretty high class. And <laughs> and he started making uh, phonograph cabinets. was actually one of his first products. So those old Victrolas that you would crank right. up and play records on
2: I hope you Um, have do you have one
3: we have one of the original ones yes we do fortunately fortunately he didn't save a lot of things but he did save one of those good so go on so he made the he was making phonograph cabinets, and as people would uh, he had also made a small wooden wagon um, to haul tools around in his workshop and as people came into the place and he was selling phonograph cabinets, you know some customers would say, "Hey, can I get one of those wagons for my kids or for my you know for hauling things around and Pretty soon, he was making more wagons and phonograph cabinets, and like any entrepreneur, he chased what worked and what was selling, and, and before long, he was out of the phonograph business and in the wagon business.
2: Wow. That's really interesting. Now, did your father join the company at all, or was he not involved he in He did.
3: Yeah, my, my dad was in the business for a long time, and I took it over from him um, about 15 years ago or so.
2: Wow. So tell you know, it's it's not easy today's day and age to keep a business viable for, as you say, going on a hundred years. Um, particularly as t- as times and tastes have changed. So, what have been some of the challenges that you've uh, faced at keeping this company fresh?
3: Sure. Well, I think one of the reasons why we've been able to endure really goes back to some of the kind of DNA that my grandfather put into the company. I mean, as I mentioned, he was a craftsman, and he was very passionate about design, and he had a great eye for design. Um, so I mentioned how he started making wooden wagons. Well, shortly after that, he was introduced to the steel stamping technology from the auto industry and he realized that he could apply this new technology to his product in order to mass produce it but he didn't just create you know the most economical cheap looking steel wagon he he really created something beautiful and a great design and and he was always very passionate about that so i think these two recurring themes of an eye for design and great quality is really what's helped our our brand endure i mean one of the first things people do say about Radio Flyer when you start asking them one of the things they say yeah that wagon lasts forever i still have the one in my garage that my kids had and now my wife uses it for gardening and um, and i think that's one of the reasons why our brand is so strong even though we've never done any advertising um, and uh, but everyone knows our name
2: yeah they definitely do um, i wanted to ask you what in in growing up what were some of the biggest Leadership lessons that you learned from your grandfather.
3: Well, really, I learned the, my leadership lessons from my more from my dad because my grandfather um, was he. While he died when I was about twenty years old, he had Alzheimer's, so he. Uh, by the time I was really old enough to have those kind of adult conversations, he wasn't able to have them, and, and so I really picked it up. You know, my my grandfather's values through my dad and. You know, one. my dad is a very humble person, and he always felt that, you know, the product should do the job of advertising, of marketing, of communicating with people. And if you create a great product over time, it will always, you know, great things will always come back to you. Um, and I remember when I, really, when I was young, I mean, this was pre-social media age and everything, and I didn't really know that much about the company as a kid, and so when I was in sixth grade, my social studies teacher gave us an assignment of writing a a paper about something interesting about Chicago's history, and so I went home and my mom said, well, why don't you do it on uh, what Nono, Nono was what we called my grandfather, that's the Italian word for grandfather, why don't you do do it on what Nono did at the Chicago World's Fair in 1933, and I said, well, what did he do? Um, and so I did this research paper and I found out, and that's really when I kind of learned my grandfather's whole whole story, this wonderful immigrant story where he built this company. And at the 1933 World's Fair, he, he realized there was this huge opportunity to kind of showcase this new product to the world, this, this steel, little red wagon that we've come to know is so iconic. And so he commissioned a very, um, prominent Art Deco designer to design this 45 foot tall boy on a wagon. And it was this Really cool Art Deco design, and that's when the name Radio Flyer was introduced to the world. And uh, he chose the name Radio Flyer because he was enamored with um, radio because it was a high tech buzzword, and Flyer because of flight and Lindbergh. So the two name the two words, while they had nothing to do with the product, were just cool futuristic words, and he put them on the wagon. And that was really a watershed event for the company. And in the course of doing this paper as a sixth grader, I really felt. In love with the story and the brand and what it means to people.
2: Yeah, is the is the tower still around or is the is?
3: It... No, unfortunately, um, after the World's Fair, like many of the exhibits, it was torn down because it was really built just for the fair. It was built out of wood and plaster. But when we were celebrating our 80th anniversary, to kind of pay homage to that exhibit. We constructed the world's largest wagon, which is, which is an actual, um, you know, giant replica of our original wagon. The, the wheels are eight feet in diameter, and it weighs 15,000 pounds, and it sits outside of our, our offices here in Chicago. Wow.
2: You know, that's a wonderful story because it really says, you know, that somebody who comes here who has some ingenuity and is a real entrepreneur, regardless of uh, background, etc., can really, you know, can really make a difference yes
3: are. yeah absolutely and um really my grandfather's' really an example and just one of you know many stories of the kind of American dream of of coming an immigrant coming to this country and making a better life and and really building a better country
2: yeah and what what um, so your dad takes over I mean had he always planned to take over the company after your grandfather or
3: yeah I think he did i mean basically my you know my grandfather was very a very traditional um Italian person. he was an entrepreneur he built the business and it was very much that you know he was building a family business, so his son was going to run the business so um that was i think pretty much preordained you know the moment my dad was born um and then you know my dad ran the company for quite a long time and then uh, about fifteen eighteen years ago. Um, um, I took over from my dad and and over the past you know 15 years or so we've grown the company a lot by getting into a lot of products that we never were in before
2: mm. so did you find um, well I'd love to explore that with you more but did you find were there ever points in time where you know that the, you kind of hit the wall as a company where you kind of said okay we got to do something differently here we've got a Change the market, or we've got to, you know, change our direction, or you know, cut back on something. Was was there ever a time where the where it was sort of a challenge?
3: Oh yeah, lots of challenges, you know, through the years. I mean, going all the way back to you know, de- you know, running the company through the depression. Um, but probably the one that I can speak to the most is the first major challenge I experienced um, in working here. Uh, you know, within the first year actually of joining the company, I was working in the sales department and um, I was meeting with a lot of customers and um, a couple of our competitors came out with plastic wagons and mm. there there hadn't been plastic wagons on the market. So this is going back, you know, 24 years ago um, right. to that point. And they, the products were really nice and they had a lot of features that moms clearly wanted in the product. Um, and, and we were kind of we were we had been caught kind of a little bit um, out of touch with what uh, cons- changing consumer preferences, and we were really good at stamping things out of steel, and that had worked great for decades. But um, we saw that sales were moving to these plastic wagons, and it was a crisis situation because our core product was being displaced by something that we didn't know how to make or had never made. Uh, being and we
2: disintermediated. Had a- so what I'm going to do is. I'm going to ask you to hold that because I want to talk about that and how you dealt with that in in our next segment. So we're at break. I'm speaking to Robert Passen. He is CEO and Chief Wagon Officer of Radio Flyer Wagons, which we all remember fondly from our youth. And uh, he's telling a really phenomenal story. And, you know, 20 years ago, disintermediation happened uh, to companies and It's always going to continue to happen. So we're going to talk to Robert about what he did relative to that. Stay with
0: us. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America
1: TRN. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that have done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com.
4: Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now.
1: You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to ILEAD, The Leadership Connection.
2: Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and I have Robert Passen with me, uh, CEO, Chief Wagon Officer of Radio Flyer, who was just telling a phenomenal story about how the wagon got named Radio Flyer, which I, I never knew, and I thought it was really uh, exciting. We we're talking about, you know, how market pressures were beginning to change and tastes were beginning to change, and it, it really caused him as a leader to have to rethink. Uh, the business model that they were using. So, so Robert, continue telling me that story. So, you know, you were starting to see trends, you were losing uh, customers to your competitors. What did you do? It was kind of a crisis.
3: It was a crisis. I mean, we, first of all, we had to ask ourselves the question, which, uh, which was, you know, would consumers accept a plastic rag- wagon for Radio Flyer? Because we'd always been known as steel and wood and and we, but we quickly saw that consumers really were preferring this material because of certain features it offered, like you could mold in seats for the kids and you could mold in cup holders and things like that that you couldn't as easily do in steel and wood. And so we said, well, the only way we're going to find out if consumers will accept it is if we come up with a product and try to sell it. And, um, but as I said, everybody in the company and the whole organization was geared toward stamping things out of steel. So we didn't have any technical expertise. We didn't have any equipment to make it. We didn't really even have a product development team at the time. So it was a very steep learning curve. We found, It was. And, uh, yeah, we and a costly that.
2: one, I can imagine, because you've got to retool your whole manufacturing process.
3: Yes. I mean, we, it, we, we started with just one product, and we decided that... Um, We would make it at a plastic manufacturer, somebody who's already making large plastic parts like a wagon body. So here in the Midwest, uh, we found the right source to do that, the right uh, manufacturing partner. We found the right design. We came out with our first wagon. It didn't sell. It wasn't the right size. We came out with our second plastic wagon, and we were kind of trying to look like the competition with that one, and that one didn't sell. And then on our third try, we came out with one that was kind of a plastic version of our well-known wood wagon that was called the Town & Country. That sold a little bit better. And by the fifth try, we've nailed it. It took us five, really five tries, to get the product that consumers really wanted, and it was over the course of several years. Um, So our our sales, we we started gaining sales in plastic wagons, but we didn't regain really the number one position in the category until that fifth try um, with a wagon that we call the Pathfinder Wagon. And one of the really innovative things about that is that the seats fold up and fold down, so you get a two-seater wagon for kids or a flatbed wagon for hauling uh, cargo. And it continues to be our best-selling product, best-selling wagon.
2: So, I mean, that had to be extremely challenging because, you know, you got money going out the door trying to retool and you're losing market share. So, what was going through your head?
3: <laughs> well, fortunately, I was very young, so I didn't probably fully understand how bad it was. Um, also, fortunately, my dad um, is a very patient. person and was allowed me to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. Um, we had some kind of stressful meetings with the bank, though I will tell you during that time I you did. I did. yeah I did have some sleepless nights, but it was just an ama- it was actually an incredible learning opportunity for me at a very young age that I never would have had if i hadn 't been in a family business and being part of all those meetings, being so young and inexperienced so i just I learned a ton, and it was a huge part of my you know development and education as a leader.
2: So what did you learn? And what did you learn about yourself and, and as you reflect on this and, and, and leadership?
3: Yeah, I mean, well, one of the things I learned is that the external environment always wins. <laughs> and we were, not yeah. in, we were not as in touch with the external environment as we should have been. Um, we were, we were a little bit of an inwardly focused manufacturer uh, of a certain product. And, and again, that had worked great for decades, but things changed.
2: And you never thought things were going to change probably.
3: Right, right. And I think that, so we, we started to put a lot of things in place, like just regularly talking to consumers. I mean, some very straightforward things like that, but over time we've really, um, really added a lot to that so instead of just doing like a traditional focus group we do a huge amount of ethnographic research where we're in people's homes um we're in their backyards we're on the sidewalk with them uh talking with moms watching kids play the product, play with the products we spend a huge amount of time now with consumers in, in as much of a real world setting as possible so that we can see what they like about our products, what they don't like about our products, how we can improve. Um, and that's had a huge impact on our ability to develop products that are really, really great and sell, sell great.
2: And you know, well, you know what's interesting about what you're talking about is if you go out to Silicon Valley right now, uh, they have a process called Agile. And one of the things that people that are getting into the agile sort of design process is spending more time with the customer, less around, you know, customer surveys and all that, but actually going out with the customer and partnering with the customer to see how they use the product, you know, to observe how the kids, you know, in your case, the kids play with the product. and, And that's made a huge difference. But you stumbled on that way early on before all these brilliant minds you know, decided that this was really the way that you have to start with design. <laughs> so I think I think that was really smart. In reflection, what you you know, you said you were a young leader. What did you learn about yourself and and your ability to lead and what were some of the things that you wished you had done differently during that period?
3: Yeah, well There's not a lot I wish I'd done differently because basically I feel like, you know, if I'd known differently, I would have done it differently, you know. (laughs) Right. But uh, so I don't spend too much time on that. I think it it was just so so rich with learnings. I mean, I think one of the things I learned about my leader, me, was that um, I was in it. I was all in. And I was going to do whatever it took to... Um, do my part to try to build up the company and and make it what I thought it had the potential to be. I mean, I was handed an incredible gift by being born into the family that started Radio Flyer. I mean, I didn't earn that. I didn't start the company. I, I was given this opportunity. And one of the things that motivates me so much is to, to to say, I've got this great opportunity, and how can I lead a team to build it into some its full potential? And... and and that's really what gets me motivated. And I think during that time, I mean, we could have sold the company. Um, mm-hmm. we, we could have done that, and that could have been a very fine decision. But that wasn't something that I wanted to do. I wanted to see what we could do with the company. And, um, and actually, all those challenges were just incredible gifts um, for me to learn and grow.
2: Yeah, and, you know, that is interesting because it is t- tempting when you're in a situation like that to sell. But I think you had this... I'm taking from what you're talking about this great sense of legacy that you really wanted to keep going and this also sense of, you know, we can do this, we can kind of get through this. How did you retain employees during that period of time? Did you have any, uh, how how did you deal with, with your employee base?
3: Well I mean the whole the whole company was changing over the, the course of those years and some employees we had to let go um, and ultimately we decided to shut down the factory and get out of manufacturing completely ourselves. That was part of this process because basically we had this factory in Chicago that was all geared up to make steel wagons, but steel wagons were declining while other, you know, plastic wagons and other things were increasing that we weren't making. So the economics of of running a factory just became not tenable anymore. And we, we just couldn't make it work. And we also decided that, You know, we're going to be in all these different kinds of products beyond wagons, and every product that we're in has different manufacturing requirements. Some are steel, some are injection molded plastic, some are blow molded plastic. So there's all these different processes and materials, and we know for the size company we are, we can't be great at all those different manufacturing processes. But we decided what we can be truly great at is Nurturing and stewarding the Radio Flyer brand and building an, an awesome um, product development, design, and marketing team that can take us to new levels. And that's what we're going to focus on. And then we're going to partner with manufacturers to make the products.
2: Yeah, that, that's that's really great. Um, what? How would you say the culture is? And how important is that to you at Radio Flyer?
3: Well, the culture is... is huge i mean as peter drucker says culture eats strategy for breakfast and i really believe that and last year we were recognized by fortune magazine as the number one best play, best workplace in the us for for companies under 300 employees so google's number one for the big companies we're number one for the little companies which is um, huge that's strange, yeah, it's huge, and that's been a long journey. Um, and, yeah. and with something we've been working on for a long time. I mean, our company was always a great place to work when my grandfather ran the business and my dad ran the business. I think what's different now is that um, when I came into the business, it was a little. It was the, the culture was a little bit stale. It was a kind of a manufacturing culture. It, it wasn't. Super innovative and creative um but now we have built up a uh, a really really creative, vibrant team that is really passionate and it's happened over time it's this has you know been years in the making um we I have an amazing h r leader who has been a key part of the uh, the key architect in, in helping build this culture, but it's really been built one person at a time, really being selective, hiring great people, and they're the ones that are really creating this great culture.
2: Okay, Voice America. The, yeah, well, that, that's, that's really important. And what made you um, early on focus on uh, the culture?
3: Well, I mean, when I was 18 years old, um I w- was working in the factory and I was you know working in the warehouse and loading trucks and and it was a great education for me to see people who were working really hard and committed and others that were not and mm. and I saw you know at an early age that you know there were some people in the company that really shouldn't be in the company, um but we'd been in business for a long time. There was a lot of legacy employees you know and and like many companies that have been around a long time, you know at certain points there probably needs to be kind of a cleanup or a pruning of the tree or however you want to call it um so that was one one data point um When I was leading the company as the CEO early on, um, I wanted to have goals for everyone in the company and start to kind of formalize the goals process. And so I had a meeting with everyone in the company. I said, okay, everybody's going to have goals, and here's what a goal is, and here's how you set goals. And after the meeting, one of the employees who had been here for maybe, you know, 30 years came up to me and said, how much more am I going to get paid now that I have goals? And, and I Interesting. Thought, okay we've we've got some problems here with the culture, um, right. and so I think part of my desire to build a great culture was experiencing negative aspects of a culture and knowing that that's not the way to grow a business and and on one other level, I always just wanted to create a business that I would want to work at. I wanted to create yeah. a culture that where I would even if I weren't with the family or didn't own the company, that I'd want to work at this company. So those are, and I just know that a great team is what's going to produce the results ultimately. So those are all the reasons I think.
2: Yeah, I think that's really great. We're at break, and I'm talking to Robert Passon, CEO of Radio Flyer, uh, iconic uh, company, been around for a hundred years, uh, gone through a lot of transformation, and has more to go through, I would imagine. We're going to be talking about that when we come back, uh, and we're also going to be talking about Robert's role and their role in uh, philanthropy. Stay with us.
0: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can
1: find us at Voice America TRN. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com.
4: Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now.
1: You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to ILEAD, The Leadership Connection.
2: Okay, so welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey. I'm your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and we're talking to Robert Passon, Chief Wagon Officer of Radio Flyers. And uh, he's just been telling us this incredible story about this incredible organization, which is one of the best places to work, or the best place to work, number one, for uh, small businesses with employees under 300. We're talking about the culture and uh, experiencing negative elements and seeing that firsthand, you know, that's a tough one for a lot of people, um, Robert, because, you know, people will be there a long time. um, And it's very hard sometimes for people to, uh, for leaders to do the appropriate pruning that they really have to do. And it's a painful process. How did you deal with that?
3: Well in terms of changing the culture ultimately we did have to let a lot of people go which was very very difficult um, yeah. and we did it over time we had early retirements um, we we did we did a lot of things to make it as palatable and as humane as possible for people um, but we knew that you know, so a lot of times when you're in a crisis, it, it, things become very clear. So we were in more of a crisis situation. So we we knew we had to make those kind of changes. Um, it's
2: painful, though. There's no question about it. It's painful.
3: It was painful. and It was very personal. I mean, these were people yeah. that I'd worked with since I was 18 years old. I mean, these weren't just people I just met. And I think, you know. We, because we had such a long history, and my family had such a long history of honesty and integrity and trust with everyone, while these decisions were hard and people in many cases were sad about them, um, I think people felt like we handled it as, as respectfully and as well as possible.
2: Well, I think that's an, an incredibly important factor. I mean, you have to put the face of people when you're, when you're doing something like this because you are disrupting lives. But here's the question I have for you. And, and, and I think a lot of people don't realize this. Somehow, the culture got to where it was, to the point where you had to do the kinds of things that you did there. And I think many people don't realize that it's one of those things you have to pay attention to constantly, or you're going to be in that situation, or you're going to be in it again. What, what's your thought on that?
3: Well that's absolutely right. I mean vigilance is is a huge part of it. I think I mean a lot of people ask me now that we've gotten these awards for being the best workplace and everything is like one of the first things people say is so, so what are the perks? What what is the stuff you do? Like where's the ping pong table? Where's the free lunch? And you know I always say it's really for for us it's not about the perks, it's about the purpose.
2: Right. And, uh, I love that.
3: And and yeah and and for us I mean We have a very clear purpose. I mean, we're creating products that really bring smiles and bring happiness and joy to families, and so that's why we exist. That's our mission. Our mission is to bring smiles and create warm memories that last a lifetime, Um, and so we start with that, and the other way that we really protect and nurture the culture is our selection process is really... the is 80% of, of how we build the culture. It's bringing the right people onto the team. And then we set up mechanisms for if people aren't the right fit to manage it very respectfully, but to manage people out of the business who aren't a fit as soon as possible. So, for example, one of the things we do when we hire someone, we have a very rigorous selection process, but when we actually hire someone, then there are two check-in meetings uh, that I have with the manager of that person uh, at three months and at six months and we call that a quality of match meeting and basically the purpose of the meeting is for uh, to have a disciplined process where the manager says yes, this person is a great match, and here's why, um, and it really has added a huge amount of accountability. So that at, at six months, if we're still, still saying, well, I'm not sure that you know, then we know it's probably not the right match, and we need to take action. Yeah. And I believe that that's not only great for the company, but also the right thing to do for that individual because nobody wants to be in a job where they're not a great match. They know it; they're not thriving. It's better if they move on and find a match that is great for them.
2: I, I couldn't agree, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, uh, you know, Jack Welsh. I know he's an old timer there, but uh, you know, he was famous for uh, you know they used to call him Newtown Jack, and but <laughs> right. in reality, that was his philosophy. He, you know, you're doing somebody a service if you know, you bring to four that it's not a match because they're not having fun, you're not having fun, and you help them find the right place and the right fit. And I I really think that does help build the culture. How frequently do you have to do that, Robert?
3: To let people go?
2: Yeah. I mean, in that situation where you really found, okay, in honesty, that this is is not the right match for us.
3: It's a pretty small percentage now because we've gotten – pretty good at the other part of the selection process and, and figuring it out before we hire people. So it's it's actually quite rare now, but it still does happen.
2: I'm sure it does happen because, you know, they, you probably have filters and, and, you know, we're all human and make certain decisions. So what else? Uh, you know what I think is really interesting? I think it's really interesting that people asked you what kind of perks there were because obviously they don't know the criteria for best place to work. And it's all about building trust and building a climate of, of empowerment and relationships and all of that. So what, what else did you do to uh, get recognized as the best place to work?
3: Yeah. Well, I mentioned the, with the goals process that we started working on, you know, this is going back like 15 years ago when I first said, Hey, maybe we should have some goals. Well, Today, we have a very defined goals process um, that the co- we have five big goals for the company every year, like here's where we want our sales, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then every individual in the company has five goals, and those five goals line up with the five company goals in some way. So mm-hmm. if whether it's a salesperson or a product development engineer or somebody on the customer service team they can see how their five goals impact the company goals. And we set our goals, individuals set their own goals in a team setting, and then twice a year people do self-assessment in the team setting. So they say, here's, here's where I am on goal number one, here's what I did, here's how it's going. So it's a very transparent, very high level of accountability, and basically most of the assessment is self-assessment. People are saying, here's how I did um, and then, of course, the manager is involved and it does performance reviews and everything. But then every month, we have a company meeting where we report out on the five goals. Here's how we're doing on sales. Here's how things are happening with our brand building, whatever the issues are. So there's a huge amount of communication about the results of the business. And I, I think that that's one of the critical components because everybody knows how the business is doing, and they know how their individual actions are helping the business impacting the business driving the results and that's what everybody wants to know everybody wants to know how am i doing how's it affecting the business and it's just it empowers people it engages people it rewards people Uh, we have a lot of celebrations and a lot of recognition because we know that you know we're going to get better at what we measure that's our goals and we're going to become what we celebrate so we do a lot of that
2: i love that better at what we measure and uh
3: and we become what we, we ce- celebrate.
2: And we become what we celebrate. I love that. Become what we celebrate. That is that is really great. So, you know, you, you learned a huge lesson um, in, you know, the, the steel wagon moving to the plastic wagon. And you mentioned early on in the show that you've now branched out to other products. What was your rationale for doing that? And what are some of the other products that you have?
3: Yeah, I mean, the rationale was basically that, we have this amazing brand that people have grown up with. And when we started to do market research and talk to consumers, um, they'd say things like, well, you guys make tricycles, right? I'd say, no, we don't make tricycles. And then they'd be like, well, wait a second. I thought I had a radio flyer tricycle as a kid. And I'd say, oh, really? What did it look like? And they'd say, well, it had it was a red tricycle. It had chrome handlebars. It had a, sh- a big bell on it. It had two steps on the rear deck. It had black tires. Um and they're just, they were describing to me the tricycle they had as a kid, but it wasn't a radio flyer tricycle. We never made tricycles, so I said, "Wow, that is amazing opportunity for us." And. And what people were doing was just basically associating this classic product with our brand because we've been around forever. And so we made a tricycle that looked exactly like the one they were describing. And we felt like if we could give the right design cues, all those things I mentioned, the, the chrome and the red, and um, that people would point to it and say, I had that tricycle as a kid because they couldn't remember the brand they had or it wasn't a significant brand. And so we came out with that classic trike about fifty fifteen years ago and it was just a huge success. And and that's exactly what happened. People would point to it and they still do and say, I have that tricycle as a kid and I have to say, well you had a tricycle like it but, <laughs> but it wasn't actually ours. Um yeah. and uh And so that kind of gave birth to this. So then we just kind of started following up with more tricycles, and we went from never having tricycles to being the biggest market share of of tricycles in the U.S. Um, And then we started to see that really where our brand makes sense is anything kids can ride on. Um, And that's kind of how we define what we do, because when you ask people to kind of go back and speak in present tense of what was it like when you were playing with your radio flyer wagon, They'll say, well, the wind wind was in my hair, the sun was in my face, we were going fast, we were having fun. So we feel like any products like that, like so tricycles, scooters, um, little cars, anything with wheels for kids is how we've built, uh, built up the business and really expanded um, our sales.
2: You know, I mean, it, it strikes me as that's another really great strategy, strategic classic lesson in that, you know, the open the aperture wide you know if you say I'm only making buggy whips that's all you're ever going to do or just just say I'm only making wagons but but you know I help kids do things on wheels you know that that opens up a whole wide range of, of things that you could do now did you come upon that yourself or did you work with a team of people how did you get there?
3: A lot of trial and error. I mean, we made a lot of products that didn't have wheels. We we made a doll in a wagon once. That was a total disaster. I mean, we tried <laughs> dolls. We just, we tried Christmas ornaments. We tried uh, kids furniture. I mean, we did all kinds of stuff going <laughs> going back twenty eighteen years ago. So again, I had a very forgiving dad, and it was I could make these kind of mistakes because it was our family business. So I was very lucky for that. Um And through a lot of those. Things and then again, just talking to consumers and really listening to what they're saying and what the emotions are helped us clarify. So we we followed what worked, and then we um, also just really listened to consumers, and that's ultimately what led us to kind of our newest product, which is the Tesla Model S for kids that we just came out with. Which in partnership with Tesla, we're actually creating the kids version of the Model S, and it's been just an incredible, incredibly fun, and and and, and very successful.
2: Wow, I love that. I don't have a Tesla. I have to get one, though.
3: They're really cool cars. <laughs> you <laughs> can really get It starts at $500.
2: Oh, well, but there you go. Then I can say I have <laughs> I have one. That, that's great. We are uh, at break. Stay with us. We're talking to Robert Passon, Chief Wagon Officer, Chief Executive Officer of Radio Flyers, a real growth story, a wonderful growth story of a, of a privately held company that, that uh, is just doing some wonderful things. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Robert's leadership style, uh, their philanthropy, and then we have a couple of questions that have been emailed in. So stay with us.
0: out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at T R
1: N. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that have done right really do make good leaders great if you want a no-nonsense practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results contact linda today visit lindasharkey.com again that's lindasharkey.com
4: Looking for exciting video content, live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now.
1: You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to one 866 472-5790. Four seven two five seven nine zero. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag I Lead TLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey Now back to I Lead the Leadership Connection.
2: Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host, and I have Robert Passen. Chief Wagon Officer and CEO of Radio Flyer. I just love everything that he's talking about. Uh, named uh, top small business uh, company, best place to work alongside Google, the biggest best company to work. Great purpose statement. Wonderful values. Robert, let's, let's talk quickly. How would people describe your leadership stuff? I went to Radio Flyer and I said, Tel, tell me about Robert as a leader. What kind of leader is he? How would they describe you?
3: I I have a pretty good feel on that because I've done a lot of 360 feedback, so I think I can, (laughs) I'll tell you not just what I think, but what people actually say. People say that I'm really committed, very passionate about the business, um, very involved, open, fair, um, will always listen, and can be perfectionistic, very high standards, can be picky about stuff. (laughs) Um, So I think they would say all those things.
2: Great, and what would they say your values are?
3: Well, I think they'd say the values are my values are really the company values. I mean, we we call our values the Little Red Rule, which is kind of our spin on the Golden Rule, and that's every time we touch people's lives, they'll feel great about Radio Flyer.
2: I love that. That's that's real. Now, did you develop that yourself, or did you use a team, or did you get people engaged?
3: yeah we did we did it. We didn't hire any consultants or anything. I mean, we actually just had a company wide discussion. We had never articulated our values till maybe about twelve years ago uh, or our mission or or any of that. And we had a company wide discussion asking those kind of questions. You know what are our values? What are we great at? what do people what do consumers think of us? And that's when that kind of emerged from that process.
2: And how important overall has that been to you and your company?
3: I think it's been really important to articulate them. I mean, one of the things I've, I've, said, I've said to our team in, in going through that process, um, we didn't just make this stuff up. It was coming organically from the people who work here who really know the business. And so I think we were just naming things that were really there. And I think that was part of the power of it because it wasn't like we brought in a consultant to come up with some slogans and, and then instead of just putting posters on the wall with our mission and values, we've incorporated it into all of our performance metrics. So on our performance review, everybody has gets evaluated on the results they deliver, but also on the values, and they're equal.
2: Yeah, wow, that's beautiful. I love that. That's very important. So, you know, when we started this out, you were talking and I was talking to you and I I mentioned it earlier in the show that at, at Duke they had all these radio flyer wagons and you could just see the smiles on faces of kids who have cancer and all sorts of tough things and parents going through tough stuff. What made you get into philanthropy?
3: Well, we've always given back, um, to, to the community. I mean, my grandfather was that way and my dad. And so they're, you know, they always felt like we've give, been given so much wonderful opportunity in this country and in life that we should give back. Uh, Starlight specifically, really, that's our partnership where we give away wagons to them and they give them to the hospitals. Um, That really came about, again, some hospitals were using wagons. We saw that. We wanted to find a partner that could help us do it on a bigger scale. And so we've given thousands of wagons um, to hospitals through the years that way. Another way we give back is we build a playground in a neighborhood in Chicago every year with an organization called Kaboom. So in a neighborhood that needs one, we pay for the playground. Our whole team goes there and builds it. Uh, And it's just a wonderful day and a great team building um, opportunity. And then another thing we do is we've partnered with the Arbor Day Foundation so that every time we sell a product through our website, um, we plant a tree. And we've planted thousands of trees over the past few years to kind of help. We feel like we're an outdoor product, so we want to kind of help restore the outdoors that's the reason why we do that
2: i love it and it's so aligned with what your kind of purpose is etc so that was wonderful robert we have a question in from uh the, the the field that was emailed in and and the person is asking actually what are you most proud of as a leader?
3: Yeah, I think what I'm most proud of as a leader is, you know, building the team and the culture um of the company that's here today that's creating all these wonderful products and uh, and doing all these great things. I mean, I'm I'm the leader, I had it up um but the team is the one that's doing all of this and I'm I'm just so proud of the team we have here and what they're doing.
2: Yeah. That's, that's really great. And the other question that came in is uh, somebody who's starting out as an entrepreneur and they're looking to see, you know, many entrepreneurs are very much involved in the product themselves and are not really people that can lead a company. Um, and that's kind of been documented. So this individual is asking what kind of advice do you have for him Uh to stay relevant as a leader or to become relevant as a leader in an entrepreneurial environment?
3: Well, I would say feedback is the, one of the critical ingredients to becoming a a better leader and building your leadership skills. I mean, I went to I went to an all boys Catholic military boarding school, and <laughs> while that sounds like a scary environment, it was actually a wonderful experience. And at the age of fourteen, I had an ROTC class, and they said leaders are made, not born. The Army believes that, um, and it, it was a real. I believe that
0: too, actually. Yeah.
3: I do too, and I and it was an awareness for me at a very young age that actually leadership isn't some mystical thing. It's a skill that can be taught and can be learned. And so I think if you anyone views it that way and just says, oh, I'm not that kind, I'm an inventor person, I'm a creative person, I'm not a leader, if you view it as a skill that can be learned then and you get feedback and you have to get anonymous feedback from everybody that works with you so that they can see how uh, so you can see how they see you that's the first step in trying to get an awareness of of and where you can maybe just stop doing a bunch of stuff that's annoying people um, usually that can be <laughs> you know the biggest part of of becoming a better leader um, so i i would kind of start there and see where it takes you
2: yeah, that's. I bet you got some. Did you get painful feedback ever? Yeah, I got some. Not
3: super painful, but I definitely got awareness on things. Like the first time I got a three hundred and sixty, um, which was maybe fifteen years ago. You know, I, I one of the things that came out was that I can use humor to dismiss people or to shut down conversation. Uh-huh. So. I wasn't aware of that. I just thought I was being funny, you know. But actually, it was kind of annoying to people, so I tried to stop doing that.
2: <laughs> That's, that was great. Well, Robert, thank you so much. I could talk to you so much more. What a great company. What a great story. Uh, what a wonderful product. And I'm going. I have a baby shower for somebody uh, tomorrow, and actually, I got them a radio flyer wagon for their uh, child. So thank you. <laughs> Yes, I, I and I'm touting your products everywhere I go. So I just enjoyed meeting you so much and thank you so much for being on the show and I hope uh, that my listeners were enlightened with who you are as a leader because you are clearly, which is why I asked you to join the show an example of a 21st century leader. It's you're, you're humble. It's not about you. It's about the purpose. It's about what you're giving back. It's about the contribution that you're making to others and other people's lives and, and helping others. And sometimes you have to make some tough decisions and they're hard and they're painful, but you have to do them in a way that's respectful. And I think that that's exactly who you are as an individual. So, so thank you so much for sharing your story with me and my listeners. And thanks to all my listeners for, uh, listening to my show.
1: I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week.